0: God has given me a word uh, for you for Gen U, for this season and time that we are we are finding ourselves in we're just coming out of make room for God. how many of you guys participated in that yep all four of you okay come on how many of y'all actually participated there we go there we go yeah make room for God was an amazing time that see I don't there's not a you can't go through a season of fasting and prayer and come out of it like just bombed at the world I've, I've never done it never happened. And so I think God has, is, has done something, has stirred something up in the hearts of Genu, and now we're about to step into that next season, that next step, that next thing. And so uh, as I was preparing for this sermon, before we get into the Word, I want to kind of set us up here. And as I was, as I was studying uh, this section of Scripture that we're going to talk about today, I was reminded of um, the, the last book by uh, Martin Luther King. You know, uh, this month is Black History Month, and I always try to, to read a book that's focused on uh, Black history uh, in America. And uh, there, I've been trying to get into this one particular class. It's all about Dr. Dr. King and his and his theology, and and how he viewed, you know, how he ministered as a as a pastor. And this past uh, this past fall. I did, a, I did a, my cousin's wedding up in Montgomery, Alabama. That's where my dad's side of the family is. And my dad and I were driving around Montgomery, and we were, uh, which as you know, there's a, a ton of history up there. Not, not real great history, but a ton of history. And we were driving around. My dad was showing, showing uh, my daughter around like, where he grew up and these, these certain sites. And there was Dr. King's, uh, the church that he pastored. And I told my dad, like, I mean, I'd gone to Montgomery plenty of times to see family, and, and I was like, I never, I never understood where his church was located. Because where Dr. King's church in Montgomery was located, it's literally on the same street and across the street and surrounded by government buildings. It is, so. For so perspective, Dr. King was teaching and worshiping and ministering and, and, and healing the hearts of people through the message of Jesus Christ in defiance and in the face of a government that said that they were less than. <laughs> That's powerful. That's powerful. And in 1965, there was the, the Voting Rights Act passed. And after that passed, um, Dr. King went to Jamaica. And he like hold himself up in this in this place. He didn't have a, a phone. He didn't have access to anything. And he just and he wrote, and he wrote this uh, this um, this book that was centered around. You know, we've come through this major this major hurdle. We've got the Voting Rights Act passed. People across this country. They it's it's a, a humongous step for equality. But what do we do now? His literal the, the the title of the book and the question that he asked is, where do we go from here? We've we massive victory. There is way more ahead of us. Where do we go from here? That's kind of the same question that the Israelites are asking when they arrive at the Jordan River in the book of Joshua. So here's Joshua. And uh, we'll step into this. Let me, let me just give you a little bit of a background. So the book of Joshua, in a nutshell, it's about the Israelites take going into Canaan and uh, inhabiting Canaan and taking over that land. It was the land called the promised land. And why was it called the promised land? Because it was promised to them by God. See, for Abraham, go, go even further back over to Genesis, out of Joshua, go back to Genesis, you hear have Abraham. And God promised Abraham two things. His descendants would be a nation, A great nation that would bless the world. I always forget about that part. A great nation that would bless the world. And the second thing is, that nation would be promised the land of Canaan. So, fast forward, Egypt, Moses gets raised up, they get taken out of slavery, they get put into the wilderness. And while that was a crazy time, they were given the laws and the structures of how to have a nation. And then once they had the laws and the structures of how to be who they were called to be, then Their next step was to inhabit the land that was promised to them. But like Dr. King's moment where he had to say, I know what is promised to us. I know what God says about us. I know, but there is way more ahead. That is what the Israelites felt. Because it wasn't just, well, let's just go into this land. It wasn't like unincorporated Okaloosa County. You know what I mean? Like It wasn't, wasn't that. It was a land filled with people, and these people despised the Israelites. They despised their way of life, and they despised their God. Now, let, let me just get something out of the way, first of all. Joshua is a violent book. I'm going to tell you, it's a violent book. It's it's filled with a, with a lot of, um, I mean, people die. It's bloody. It's great. Probably make a great TV show, but it's, it's super violent. Now, let me let me just say this I hundred I, percent I believe God has Jesus says you know you live by the sword you die by the sword I don't, I don't think that that's the, the way forward for us I don't think that we are called to go and kill the people that aren't that are sinning right but the New Testament surely does not they don't shy away from it Hebrews 11 acts 7 none of them are, are, are shy about the violence that happens in Joshua because central to their identity, they believed that they weren't just called to be a nation. They weren't just called to live in a land. They were called to be the representatives of God. What we might call the image of God. Who we, all humanity, was called, to, it said, bears the image of God. Now, what does that mean? Let's take a step back. What, is, what does it mean to be the image of God? You know, in, in ancient Mesopotamia, The king was believed to be the image of God. The king of Mesopotamia, whatever god or gods at that moment they were worshiping, was the image of God, which means he was the representative of God to his people handing down the laws. Mesopotamia has a language called Akkadian, and Akkadian in Hebrew has a very similar word for the word image. For them, it's zelum. For Hebrew, it's zulum. So this was not just... Just just a, an Israelite thing, a Hebrew thing. No, everyone believed that the kings were the images of God. And what the Israelites said was, no, actually, humanity bears the image of God. Now, it gets complicated because we're, we're, we're post-Christ, right? Not post-Christian, post-Christ. We're after Christ. Christ has come and he has done his thing and we are living in that post-Christ world. So here's what it means for us. If you're ever confused about what it means to be the image of God, I'm going to give it to you here right now. God called humanity to be his image. Sin tainted that image. Jesus restores that image, and the church reveals the image. Or reveals the God behind the image. Does that make sense? You're called to be his image. Sin tainted it. Jesus restores. The church reveals. You here now are the revelation of the work of Jesus Christ in your life. To the world around you. Now they didn't. Joshua and Israel they didn't have Jesus. They didn't have Jesus. They hadn't hadn't come on the scene yet. It was a long time before that. But they believed that God had called them to be His representative in the world. Remember to be a nation that blessed the world. And so, how the Bible looks at. What happened to the people of Canaan, look, I'm gonna to cut to I'm gonna to cut to the right to the end here. They took it over, they lived in it. They defeated the people. And we're gonna look at that here in a second. But they did so because these people had they, they were sinning, they were they were evil, and they were not who they were not who they were not doing and acting in the way that Yahweh would want them to act. Remember, they had the law. So that's where we are. Were you good and confused yet? Or are we good? Okay, we're gonna move on. Let's get into the, let's get into the word today okay Joshua 1 1 through 9 if you were following along in the uh, YouVersion version app good I don't you know the rest of you listen here we go it says this after the death of Moses the servant of the Lord the Lord said to Joshua the son of Nun Moses' assistant Moses my son my, Moses my servant is dead and therefore arise go over this Jordan you and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. For those of you who are still paying attention, let me break it down for you. This is what he's saying God promises three things and asks two things. God promises authority, you will lead this people. God promises land, which is the fulfill, fulfillment of uh, his promise. And the last thing is he promises him victory. Authority, land, victory. But in return, you, he had to do two things. Be, crea- be courageous and be obedient. Being courageous and being obedient. Coming up to the Jordan River and seeing the task that lies ahead of them. They could either have tucked tail and ran or they could have charged ahead. And so that's so that brings us to the first point today. Obedience to God is the beginning of living into your calling and to your purpose. Now, we talk about calling and purpose all the time. All the time. And, and sometimes we talk about it in such a way that's vague enough that we can say whatever we want. You know what I mean? Like, God's calling you to your call. You know, God's calling you to this. God's, you know, your purpose is this. Your purpose, I'm gonna make it so easy for you this morning. Your purpose is to be the image of God. And what what is the image of God? It is that which has been restored by Jesus and is revealed through the church. That is your calling. End of discussion. But there are times where God requires tasks of us. For Joshua, there was a task. There was a task at hand. His task was to take his people into Canaan and to to, to knock out all the people and to inhabit the land. That was his task. Sometimes we get so bogged down in the idea of what is the task that I'm supposed to be doing that we forget what our true calling is to be. The image of God. The restored image of God. That's why you have all these pastors that fall and fail that's why you see yourself like, I thought I was doing what God called me to do, but inside of me, there's so, there's still this sin. There's still this problem. There's still this hurdle to get over. That's because you're so focused on the task. You're not remembering who you're called to be. The restored image of God to be the revelation to the world obedience is the beginning of living into your calling. He said, only be strong and courageous. Back in verse seven, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from from it to the right hand or the left hand that you may have good success. So what's God calling you today? What's he calling you to today? I think our life, the life of our faith, the trajectory of the, the faith life, Is this oscillation between restoration and revelation? There are times, there are times where God has to restore, and at all times, you are revealing. So notice this your faith life does not end after salvation, right? We have this whole process, the whole fancy word, sanctification. Your life is, you're being sanctified through the Holy Spirit, through the grace of Christ, all those things. But you are always oscillating between rest, restoration and revelation. And if you have not been restored, you're going to be a really bad revelation. I don't. I didn't mean that to be so harsh, but I, but it's the, but it's the truth. It's who we have to. It's who we have been called to be. And we look at the church. Look, I'm I'm very aware of how people view the church across across the board. Literally, was talking about it. With another pastor this morning, we were talking about some pastors that had um, no one we knew or anything, but had 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 moral failures. And I, you know, I told him, I said, the problem is, is that for us as pastors, I don't, I don't know what it's like for their family. I don't experience the the failure from the family or the church family side of it. But I experience it as a pastor because people look to us and being like, well, is, are, is this who you're going to be? Is this who the church is? Because here's the deal. You're the revelation of of God here now in this building. You're going to be the revelation of God when you get home. You're going to be the revelation of God when you go to work, when you're in front of your children. Have you been restored enough to be the true, honest revelation of God to your family, to your coworkers, to your friends, to people you meet out, out there? Let me tell you what. You know who cannot stand Sunday afternoon lunches? restaurants, because the church, big C church, everyone, they go to restaurants, and they treat people like crap, and I was one of them when I was in college. I told y'all, I, uh, I, I think I told y'all, I know I told the, the students this, I worked at Cracker Barrel when I was in college. Yeah, that's right. I was slinging biscuits and gravy, and that is how I paid for a Kira's engagement ring, it was through uh, tip money at Cracker Barrel. I, no one, listen, listen to me, and I grew up in like Bible Belt, the buckle of the Bible Belt in Alabama. No one wanted to work on Sundays because of the after church crowd. You are the revelation of Jesus Christ. You are the one revealing who Jesus is to these people. So if you're a butthead, when you go to Cracker Barrel to some 22-year-old who forgot to fill up your sweet tea, that is who they believe Jesus is. That's who they believe Jesus is. And that's who they believe that Christians are. Jesus restores. We reveal. Obedience is the first step. That's who you're called to be, man. It's obedience. And obedience looks like trying to, it looks like following the ways of Christ and following the ways of God's word. Because that's how we know what Christ would want. That's that's how we know who Christ was. The next thing is, is this. And this is our hope that living into our purpose and calling is never a solo pursuit. It's never a solo pursuit. You're not alone in this. Look at verse 9. At the end of verse 9, this is what God says to Joshua. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's with you wherever you go. This is the same promise that was given to Isaac in Genesis 26 at Moses' commission in Exodus 3. God reiterates it to Israel while they are in the middle of exile. He tells us to Mary when she's, you know, being told of her impossible pregnancy. And Jesus makes the same promise to his disciples when he sends them out to disciple the world. God does not expect you to fulfill your calling on your own. You are not to restore yourself. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the th- are the ones that restore you back into your image, back into your calling. You're not doing this alone. In fact, Jesus said, hey, I'm leaving you. I'm sending God's spirit throughout the entire world so that you are never alone. God is always with you. Look back in, in, in 2 Timothy. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says this. In verse one verses eight through 9 or chapter one verses 8 through nine he says therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling saved and called and he says not because of our works, not through their own efforts, but because of his own purpose, and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin. Paul had a task: disciple and build churches. That was his task. That was Timothy's task. Timothy was known as a super faithful guy, but he was clearly from this from this writing. We get this clearly: he was discouraged. Ministry was falling apart. Things were not working like he thought he was. Where's Paul writing from? Prison. The dude's sitting in jail, and he's like, do not be discouraged by these setbacks, which is so crazy to me. I promise you, if I ever end up in prison, I will be very discouraged, just so you know. I want you to know. I don't don't know if I can follow Paul's footpath here. I, I can't. I mean, God didn't build me for prison, that prison life. He didn't. He didn't. can't get my skincare routine in there, man. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> Paul is writing to Timothy and he's encouraging him. He's encouraging him. He's like, hey, it's difficult. The task is difficult. The task can seem impossible. Especially when you're considering, like, we're talking about early stages of Christianity here. Early, early stages. There weren't, there weren't, you literally can leave here and you can pass 10 churches in a matter of 10 minutes, right? It wasn't like that. It wasn't, that wasn't the world they lived in. They were the ones planting the churches. He says, don't be, don't be discouraged, but also remember who you have been called to be. And remember that you're not doing this through your own power. You're not doing this through your own power. You're doing this through the grace and the purposes of God. Gen you, you are not doing this alone. You will be and you will become who God has called you to be, but it won't be through your own power. Praise God. Praise God because we will not we're not good at this. We're not good enough. We're not perfect. We weren't the perfect lamb that was slain. That was Jesus. You don't have to do this on your own. Man, let me tell you, I, have, I, was, I was thinking a lot in this time, especially at this point here. I was thinking a lot about um, mine and Kira's journey uh, with our son. Some of you guys know this. And for those of you who don't know, you'll find out. So our son, back in 2019, was diagnosed with, uh, with autism spectrum disorder. That's what they call it. He was diagnosed with autism. And man, let me tell you, 2019 was a rough year it was just a rough year and looking back on it i realized the the massive amounts of of grief i was walking through i didn't get it i didn't understand that at the time I, it, only through retrospect retrospect and prayer and counseling what, have i been able to look back at that time and have some sort of general perspective because I, Pretty much all through 2019, you know, for me and Kira, we were, we had just been men of the children's and youth pastors at the time. And and so we had all this effort and all this energy for what was going on here. But personally at home, we were depleted. We were just absolutely exhausted emotionally. I would notice myself uh, like I would steal away sometimes and I'd go to my office and just like cry. I'm not, that's not me. And I was like, I, I told Kira, I was like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know what's going on. And I realized what I was doing is I was grieving. I was grieving. I was grieving my idea of my son. Just so you know, I'm going to put this in perspective too. Just so you know, uh, special needs parents, we already know divorce rates are pretty high. For special needs parents, it's a 30% increase because of the pressure, man, the pressure. Because this is what it's like parenting a child with special needs. As soon as you get that diagnosis, it's like being dropped into a field with grass above your heads and someone's saying, all right, get to the other side, but we're not going to tell you how to get there. And we hope, hope maybe you'll find some people along the way to tell you where to go. But that's what it is. It's confusing. It's chaos. And you're trying to manage things at home. You're trying to manage things internally. But it, at the end of the day, you're just depleted. Now, what does this have to do with obedience? And what does this have to do, you know, with, with, with people? I'm sorry. With, with God being there. Man, let me tell you, God was in it the whole time with us. And he has been in it with us the whole time. And it was, has never been easy. It's still not easy. Well, butthead was trying to do stuff this morning that I was like, "What are you, like, what are you doing? What are you doing?" He went with my dad. He's not. He's not here. He went with my dad. Picked him up, and he, you know, he has to have like the certain amount of toys, and you know, if they're not those toys, then it's another set of toys, and it can. It's, it's, that's funny. It can be exhausting. But through it all, in it all, God was with us. Now, what does it have to do with obedience and and going into my calling? Go, it's this. Remember, restoration, revelation. That's what we're called to do. God was restoring me to see my son the way he sees him. And to reveal to him the love that has been given to me. To reveal the love the Father has for us. Not one that expects you to be something that you can't be. That's beyond your capabilities all in your own efforts. It's to love you simply as you are. And I think that's honestly the problem for so many parents with special needs kids. They, can't, they want them to be someone that they're not. And they can't accept them for the amazing, beautiful people they are. And along the way, God put people in our lives that loved us, loved us, and walked us through that season. Because I'm telling you, man, it was hard. It was hard for us. And it's been hard, but God put people, some friends and some family, and that have loved us and we're there, and that goes to this next point here, man. It takes the right people, the right people to help you walk into your destiny. It takes the right people. Joshua had it. Joshua had it. He had these, look at this, in, in, in uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, he says, Joshua, this is the This is him, he's given his instructions. And this is the people talking back. It says, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever wherever you send us, we will go. And just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let me tell you. You can't get there on your own. You can't. You can't get to what God has promised you with the wrong people around you. And they can be good people. They can be good people. But if they're not the right people, you will not succeed. Joshua had people calling out the promises of God and reminding him who he is. That's what we need. We need people reminding us who we are. The image of God, the bears of God, the, we need people in our life that are like, buddy, you, 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 something's going on. Something's happening here. I don't know what's happening, but something's happening here. You need people to encourage you to get into church. You need people to encourage you to pray, to read the Bible. This past, week, or past two weeks, several of you signed up for small groups. Praise God. And for some of y'all, I know it was really hard. Some of y'all are some introverted little turtles and y'all were not interested in being around people. Sometimes that is your Jordan River to just just put your name down on a piece of paper and just say God put the right people in my life. Put the right people in my life. Look at this. I told you there are so many people in in Jericho, I'm not Jericho. There's so many people in Canaan. I want you to, I want us to understand how hard this was. If it wasn't for the people backing Joshua, if it wasn't for the right people helping him, the victory that God promised him would have never been realized. It wasn't Joshua doing this all on his own. It was the whole people of Israel with one vision following the purposes of God together. This is what happened. They saw victory against Jericho, Ai, the Gibeonites, the Amorites, the Mekhadi, the Libni, the Lachish, the Eglon, Hebron, Debir, Anakim. And then the Bible's like, there's so many, I don't know, northern Canaan, southern Canaan. That's how many they defeated. The victories of God that he has promised you will only happen with the right people in your corner, in your life. This is my last point, and then I'm going to wrap up. Your obedience, your obedience will be a catalyst for others to enter in their own calling. When you obey, and when you do the things that God has asked you to do, when you have restored yourself enough, when you and God and become that revelation, that true revelation of God's goodness and his grace and his love to the people around you, things happen in others' lives that you cannot measure. You can't. Chapter 2 of Joshua, we're introduced to a character by the name of Rahab. So Joshua, so you know, in chapter 2, Joshua sends two men as spies to check out this, the city of Jericho. There's a prostitute there. Her name's Rahab, and she housed the two spies. The leaders of Jericho they come to her, and Rahab she's hidden them. She won't tell them where they are. In fact, she lies to them and is like, "Oh, you just you just missed them. If y'all if you head out that way, I'm sure you'll 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 find them." The men they leave, they pursue, they close the city gates for the night, and then she goes up. So the men are staying kind of at the top of her house, and she goes up to them. And this is what she tells them. Chapter two, verses nine through 11. It says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of because of you. For the Lord Your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab told them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and we have heard how the Lord works. I have heard and seen the works of God in your life. I will serve that God. Rahab, this is not the end of her story. She is. If you go to Matthew Matthew one, you have this whole long lineage of Jesus, and in there there's just a couple of women that are mentioned. But in verse five, it's when it's talking name all these names. It says uh, Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. The great-great-grandmother of King David was who she was because Joshua and the Israelites were faithful and obedient to the ways of God. Our king, King Jesus, got here, and God used Rahab and her descendants to bring us Jesus. Jesus to bring Israel King David. And what did King David do? He restored and he revealed. And what did Jesus do for us? He revealed a lot and then he restored us. When you are obedient to what God has called you to be, be it the task that he's called you to do, be it the image of God you were called to be, it is only, it is through that, that lives are changed around you, and that's what it means to be the revelation, to be the, the, be the revelation, to be the revelation of Jesus, is so that the Holy Spirit can speak truth and life into people's lives, that's why I'm so, look, I'm hard on Christians, I have no problem in saying that, I can, and God has to work on me, because sometimes my tendency is to go too hard, and honestly get to get too judgmental, which is the opposite of what we need. But man, I am so disappointed in Christians <laughs> right now, definitely. But I have been so disappointed in Christians. This is why how you act matters. This is why what you post on Facebook matters. It is how you talk to people that matters. How you, Pastor Phil harped on it. How you treat people that are different than you, whether that be race, religion, political, you know, affiliation, whatever it is. It matters because you are revealing to them who Jesus has been to you. And if that's who Jesus has been to you, you got the wrong Jesus. Because Jesus has loved everyone and called everyone to a higher purpose, to a better life. He promised you abundant life. He did not promise you a boring life. He did not promise you, if you'll just show up for Sunday school and, you know, come and sit in the sanctuary and drink the coffee You'll have uh, killed an hour. That's not what Jesus promised you. He promised you an abundant life. That's what we're after. That's what we want. And not just for ourselves, for the world. Not my will, your will. As Pastor uh, Tommy's about to head up here, I want us to say the Lord's Prayer today because it is declaring the things of God in such a way that really align with what we're doing here. What we're doing here is trying to bring the kingdom of God to the world. That's what Joshua was doing. That's what Joshua and the Israelites were doing. Bringing God to the world. And that's what you've been called to do. All right. So let's say the Lord's prayer. Can we put the Lord's prayer up there? We're going to say that today as Pastor Tommy comes. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.